You are listening to a sermon preached at the First Christian Church of St. Ignatius in St. Ignatius, Montana. For more information, you can visit us at www.firstchristiansti.org. You know, today's content on television isn't usually stuff that's kid-worthy, and so trying to find something that is kid-worthy can be a challenge. But in, you know, we do have Netflix, and so we've been watching the Andy Griffith show with the the kids. And I tell you what, my five and my six-year-old just absolutely love it. They think it's hilarious. And one of the things that you see with Andy Taylor is, in dealing with Opie, especially as different situations arise, he tells Opie stories, stories from history, stories from boyhood, whatever it is, because stories have a way of impacting our lives, don't they? I see a few heads bobbing. Yeah, maybe. Should we agree to this? Is it a... <clears throat> stories. Well, this book is full of stories, and all of you probably have the same book there close to your hand. So if you turn to Genesis chapter 12, please. They're finding in some of the studies that they've done that children learn and develop through stories, even such things as gender identity, which I never thought we'd have to, to talk about. Evidently you do. Some people aren't sure. I don't know. But even such things as stories help kids to identify with who they are and, and who God made them to be. One of the things... I think about as I think about stories and the Old Testament, and remember, the Old Testament is the Bible that Jesus read. There was no other Bible, okay? The Bible's all about Jesus, but the Bible they had up until he came was the Old Testament, and it's just story after story after story about God and God's heart and who, I think, we, God's people, need to be. But Rich Mullins, I remember exactly, there's Rick, I remember exactly where in the shop we were standing the day that Rick, and I had listened to this song by Rich Mullins for my childhood up, but he mentioned the one of Rich Mullins' songs says, stories like that make a boy grow bold, stories like that make a man walk straight. Talking about the Bible. So we're going to go through a bunch of stories today. Okay, I'm not as much entertainment as most preachers are this morning, not a lot of illustrations and all that, but stories are basically that in themselves. So Genesis chapter 12 says in the first verse, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will curse. And in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham, Abram went forth as the Lord had spoke to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Stories. We read about Abram when God called him to leave where he was at. If you'd turn over to verse, chapter 15... Still talking about Abram. Verse 1, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, 
Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is to be my heir. Excuse me. Then the Lord, where the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but the one who shall come forth from your own body and he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, now look towards the heavens and count the stars. If you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, talking about Abram now, and he reckoned to him it to him as righteousness. Abram, why did God chose him? I guess we'll never really know. We have some ideas, but God called him and he went. And then here, obviously, it was troubling Abram that he didn't have any of his own descendants, which God had already promised. And, you know, if he left at age 75 with no kids, by the time he's traveled there and whenever the Lord came back to this, you know, he's getting on in age. And so he's trying to figure out what's going on here. And we read a little farther in the story that God blesses Sarai in her old age, and she has Isaac eventually. And so now we need to turn to Genesis chapter 22. As a father, this passage just kind of makes me sick. But it's so key to what this whole book is about. It says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. Remember, he's changed his name in between what we had already read and where we are now. And said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love. And he's kind of rubbing it in there. Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. And it says, so Abraham argued with him and told him he wasn't going to do what he said, right? No. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took in his hand a fire and a knife, so that the two of them walked together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then, when they came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar and had arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. How much wood do you suppose it took to burn up a body as an offering? Probably a pretty good amount, okay? And he laid that wood upon Isaac. So how big do you suppose Isaac is at this point? Probably a pretty good strapping young man. What does it say about Isaac that he allowed Abraham to bind him and put him on the wood. It says a lot. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. That's as far as I'm going to read, as far as this story. 
at least from Genesis. We'll turn to Hebrews next. What a story, though. We know that God isn't for human sacrifices the way the rest of the world at that time was doing human sacrifices. And yet, when God tells Abraham to sacrifice his only son that he loves, can you imagine the emotions, the thoughts that must have been going through his head? And yet, when God calls you to do something... What do you do? Hebrews 11, in case you're turning there. What a picture, though, of God and Jesus that that story is to us. Because even though God didn't have Abraham kill his son, later, when we needed it, who did God send to this earth to die for us? And ultimately, yes, it was our sin that he went to the cross, but ultimately, who put Christ to death? God sent him for that purpose. God could have said, "Uh uh-uh, we're done, wipe it out, but he didn't. Starting in verse 8 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs in the same promise, for which he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore there was born even of one man that he may, and he as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All have died in faith without receiving the promises, but have seen them, and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they are strangers and exiles on earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Are they talking about a place here on earth? I mean, Abraham was looking for a place to be his home, but ultimately that's talking about heaven. And you can't remember what's behind you if you're going to end up where you need to go. You got to look forward. 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the only promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. And then it says this He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Why did Abraham do what he did? God had promised, through Isaac, all your descendants are going to come, but he was still willing to put him to death. And we learn here, the reason is he believed God would raise him back from the dead. What did he do with Christ? Received him back from the dead. And there it says he received him back as a type. Okay, we need to go back to Genesis now. Genesis chapter 37. I told you we're going to be doing a lot in the Bible today. 
Genesis 37, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to his father. Now Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. We're going to skip down a ways. And what happens in the meantime is his brothers are out. He's had some dreams, and his brothers don't like that because in his dreams they think he's too important, even though the dreams came from God. So we get down here to verse 18, and so the brothers are out working with the flocks, and Jacob is with, or Joseph is with his father Jacob. And Jacob says, go out and find them and, and check on them. And so, verse 18 when they saw him from a distance, before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. Nice brothers. I have sisters. I can sympathize. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Now then, come and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we will say a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams." But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, Let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into the pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So Reuben was trying to do something good there. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him. And they took him and threw him into the pit, and now the pit was empty without any water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal. Sounds like a logical thing to do after you just kidnapped your brother. <laughs> and as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Again, a logical progression of thought. And not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listened to him. And then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up, lifted Joseph out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus, they brought Joseph into Egypt. And I'm not going to read the whole Joseph story. That goes on for the next 20, 30 chapters of Genesis here. But if we're familiar with the story, we know that here his brothers hated him. They sold him into slavery. He goes and he's bought by Potiphar from Potiphar's house. He goes to prison. From prison, he ends up being the second in command, only succeeded, only not as powerful as Pharaoh. And there his brothers return because there was a famine in the land, and so they come for food. And eventually he makes himself known to them. So chapter 45... And we're just going to read verse 5. When he's telling his brothers, you know, look, I'm Jacob, your brother, and all this, he says this. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. 
the way that we commonly say that is, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Stories like this, it's stories that we need to focus on and see who are we supposed to be? How did God work in the past? What does God want? What is God's heart? And so we look at some of these hero, heroes, excuse me, I actually have two more heroes to bring out here, but we're not going to read all the verses because at some point it just gets to be too much. Um, although I do appreciate last time you guys said, no, no, read more, read more. How about Moses? The books of Exodus all the way through Deuteronomy. Moses, who God had born in a time when Pharaoh was killing all the baby Hebrews and protected him and had him adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh. And then... Later, when he was grown up, he fled from Egypt, and he spent 40 years away, and then God sent him back. And the whole purpose of that was to get God's people out of Egypt and remove them from that bondage, from that slavery that they were in. And he did a lot of other stuff, too. How about Joshua? Joshua took over from Moses some of the things that Moses did and the way Moses behaved. He did not get to be the one to take him into the Promised Land. And so it was time for Joshua to do that. And we read about the faith of Joshua when he's leading the people, when God says, Jericho's going to fall. You're going to take Jericho. You're going to conquer it. But not like a normal army would. You're going to walk around it and play instruments. And Okay, that's the Danny version of that. But what kind of faith did it take? And you'll find that faith is one of the main things with all these but all these Bible heroes that I'm talking about point us towards who? Some people say Jesus isn't in the Old Testament, and there's still some Jews that are living according to the Old Testament as if Jesus has never come. But all of these main characters in the Old Testament point us towards Jesus because Jesus is coming, and Jesus has come, and now we do have the New Testament, so we can see all about that. But if you look at Abraham, he had faith and did as the Lord said. Isaac allowed his father to sacrifice him. Joseph humbled himself, was humbled in position so that later he might save his people. Moses led them out of slavery. Joshua led them to the promised land. Tell me those aren't things that Jesus did. Maybe not on this earth. But these were people that were preparing us for who the Messiah was going to be. And by the way, Joshua means to save or salvation. His name does. And as I understand it, his name became Jesus as it transformed over the years. So basically the same name as Jesus. What amazing, amazing people we have to look at to see who we should be and how we should behave. Okay, we're going back to Hebrews like from one end of the Bible, back and forth, back and forth. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8 says, Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. Who is that? Jesus. Skipping down to verse 4. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law. Okay, we've already got priests who are doing that. Who serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Remember how it said that Abraham received Isaac back as a type? 
And here it's saying that the priests that we have doing God's will on earth are types or shadows or copies of things in heaven. I would submit to you the idea that all these people in the Bible and all of our lives should be a copy of God, be a copy of Christ to point people towards him. Not just from the Old Testament to the New Testament, but forever and ever. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. There's a man here that I skipped over, the very first man to be exact. And we're going to read some about him. Now the way that I'm focusing on most of these types of Christ in the Old Testament is totally different than how this scripture and the next one we're going to read likens them to Christ. So here we go. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. We could go back and we could read about Adam and Eve in the garden, how God created that, and it was wonderful, and God basically gave them one rule. Don't eat of that tree. How many laws do we have today? Too many, okay? They had one. And this is where sin started. You know, the, the story about how the servant, serpent talked to Eve and talked her into eating it, and she got Adam to. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. For until the law of the law, excuse me, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift of the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many." The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on one hand, the judgment arose from the one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from the many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign through life in the one Jesus Christ." So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. Now, it seems like it's just saying that over and over and over again. And there's many who believe in what we would call original sin. That as soon as Adam sinned, his sin has stained us all. And our church here doesn't take that position because there's a lot of other verses that indicate that your sin is your own. And yet, have we all sinned since Adam? Our own sins? Yes, it has. But that's where sin entered the world, was that decision there that they made to eat of that fruit. But through one man, in the same likeness, all sin was atoned for. And who was that man? Jesus Christ on the cross, who died for our transgressions. 1 Corinthians 15. And 
42 on. It says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised as an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor and is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The reason I share all that with you is because as we all should point towards Christ, we should all be a copy or a shadow of who he is, how many times do we fall short of that in our life today? Arguably every day. How are we going to reach this world if we look like the rest of the world? How are we going to reach this world if they don't see that something is different, if they don't see that there's someone that they need to live more for more than themselves? All these people in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and, and not all of them, but many of them were there as types of Christ, and we need to be the same thing. So the people, when they look at us, they don't see us, but they see Christ who is living in us. I often talk when I'm preaching about how if you don't have Christ, you need to. And for the most part, I know that this congregation may not even have anybody here who is of age and, and hasn't chosen to give their life to Christ. Um, sorry, I'm notifying the guy in the back to come forward for the invitational music. For the most part, I know that nobody here is still needing that, but if you are, don't put that off. You have seen in the people around here the love that Christ gives us for one another and for reaching the lost world. If you have given your life to Christ, guys, we need to shine like Christ. We need to behave in such a way that people can reference us as an example Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 one says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That scares me a little bit because I've got little kids. And they imitate everything I do at one time or another. And that scares me. Consider the pressure of I need to behave in such a way that they can imitate me and it will be like Christ. Does that mean we're going to be perfect from the get-go? No, but our goal is to evermore be more and more and more like Christ every day. Can we do that? Not alone we can't. But together as the church, we can hold each other up to better things. And we can be an image of Christ. If you need to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ today, I would ask that you would come forward as we play the music and sing this song. And the rest of us need to remember who it is that we need to be imitating and showing to this world. Can we do it? Yes. I know we're from way too far north for this, but can we do it? Yes. <laughs> okay.